Hello and welcome to Match Day FM. It's Morgan and it's deflected in out of absolutely nothing. Curzon and Ashton lead. Dixie to Hardy. Hardy in behind. Hardy past the goalkeeper. Hardy into the goal. 2-1 filed. Chance of Colin Day bubbling everywhere again. The other shot. And it's in. It's a recall as for Colin Day. It's been coming. Potter Gaff had to go through it. And Akron gets the first try of the game for Siddle. They've got it with Smith, they've got it with Smith, they've got a score with Smith, unbelievable. Great chance, they've won it, Ashton have won it. Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Matchday FM. Today we will be discussing all things England cricket. My name is Sam Jordan and joining me today is our panel consisting of Kieran Macon. Key, how are we? I'm very well, thank you Sam, how are you? I'm not too bad, me, not too bad. All the better for seeing your uh, northwestern face. And we're joined by none other than Northampton's finest, Harry Reynolds. Harry, how do you feel about that? Uh, I'm, I'm delighted to be Northampton's finest. Um, I mean, we've got other greats at the at the top there, like Graham Swan and Monty Panesar. So if I can be considered amongst them, I'll, uh, I'll die happy, man. I'm a KP fan, so um, for me, I'll... Um, I'll say that you're probably Northampton's fans don't like Graham Swan, right? So, anyway, what we're here for today, we're going to be discussing what has been really a bit of a, a bit of a weird summer for everyone, really, hasn't it? In terms of uh, sports in general, we've obviously had the Premier League season curtailed uh, in the football. We've had, you know, the cricket season curtailed. Um, all fans have been behind closed doors, but you know, we will look at the summer. In general, Keen, going to start with you. We've seen some incredible cricket, but unfortunately, obviously, there's there's been no fans, been no spectators to witness it. How do you feel that's affected the game, in particular, you know, the international games? You know, England, you know, after Barmy Army, that travel with them everywhere, um, haven't been able to get into any of the uh, the big matches this summer. Yeah, I mean, I th- it's obviously having a negative effect on on the game as a whole, uh, not just for the England fans, obviously, getting behind the England team, but. I just think some of the moments that we've experienced at the back of my mind when I was watching them or watching them back on highlights, I'm thinking this is, you know, fantastic cricket, excellent entertainment. But at the back of my mind, I'm just thinking, imagine if fans were in when this happened, you know, when Chris Wokes and Josh Butler chased down that, that target against Pakistan, when Stokes uh, came out that morning on the last day against West Indies and absolutely smashed them everywhere, you know. Uh, Stuart, Stuart Broad getting his 500th wicket, Jimmy Anderson getting his 600th test wicket. Just things like this, um, which are excellent for the game, and it, it's brilliant. You know, I'm I'm firmly in the in the uh, situation where I think no, uh, some cricket is better than no cricket, or some sport is better than no sport. But you know, those those magical moments just seem to have a little bit of shine taken off them when the fans aren't there to to celebrate them. If you know what I mean? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean. You know, as we all know, my, my uh, cricket expertise is limited to say the least. I do like a little bit of the international cricket, um, but yeah, I mean, with any sport really, even you know, I, I'm big into boxing, big into you know the football, tennis. Whenever, with any sport, spectators are so important, and uh, especially in a sport like cricket, which is often accused as being you know by some as maybe being a bit boring. Um, certainly, the longer formats of the game, but you know, with the um, with the fans not being there, Harry, it's been, uh, it, it it has been a struggle really for, for for maybe some outsiders to get into cricket, hasn't it? Yeah, I can I can see why. I, I mean, 
going back to sort of noticing the lack of fans, like the, the one that stood out for me was watching the other night when uh, Mitchell Stout has gone to field on the boundary and he's uh, absolutely gone ass over tit. Uh, pretty much injured, injured himself in the process. And you just know in that corner there'd have been England fans giving him all kinds of stick. But in reality, he was able to just pick himself up and throw the ball away and with no no one hassling him. Um, the other thing, obviously, as well is for the county game and clubs like Northamptonshire, uh, who rely so much on, on that income, have been forced to obviously play their T20 games, their Bob Willis Trophy games behind closed doors. And the money that's costing them uh, is massive. But I, I would agree with Key in that some cricket is better than no cricket and Sky Sports. Uh, in terms of the domestic game, anyway, I've, I've done really well in getting all the teams on. Uh, so there is some of that money coming in. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's been a weird one. Uh, it just feel, feels like an age since that first test against the West Indies. Um, but uh, it's been it's been a, a good summer of cricket. It's been loads of entertaining games. We've had some fascinating chases, excellent bowling. So yeah. Yeah, and as you, as you rightly say there, honey, you know, despite the fact that we've obviously um, COVID-19 has uh, brought uh, a temporary stop to spectators coming into into the cricket grounds. We we have had some really extraordinary cricket. I mean, obviously, Keane alluded to the fact that you know there was the magic that Ben Stokes produced versus the West Indies area on the summer. We've had uh, we've had Broad five hundred Test wicket. We've had Jimmy Anderson six hundred Test wicket. I mean, what an achievement for both those guys. But in particular, Jimmy Anderson, Key. I mean, it's a six hundred Test wicket, the most of any fast bowler in the history of the game. Where where does he rank in terms of um, in terms of bowlers in general? Obviously, the, 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 there's a there's a good argument there. Obviously, you've got Matai Mullifan who's took the most wickets in in, um, in Test history, and then obviously Shane Warne as well. Where does he rank? Would would, would you say he's he's above them? Obviously, it's, it's a little bit more difficult for, for for pace bowlers to take wickets. Or is he above them? As that is a tough question. Um, obviously. I know some people don't don't buy into stats that much, but he's the best fast bowler in England's history, certainly. Um, you know, when he surpassed Glenn McGrath in wicket-taking, would I say he's a better bowler than Glenn McGrath? Um, in terms of probably skill level, I'd say yes. In terms of, you know, he can swing the ball. Glenn McGrath was just very fast and very accurate, and he would just grind you down, and that's how Glenn McGrath got his wicket, not taking anything away from Glenn McGrath. But I think Jimmy Anderson has to be considered obviously the best England bowler of all time, in my opinion, but um, I could be one of the best bowlers of all time. Um, I mean, it sums it up when three of the best spinners who have ever graced the game are the only bowlers who are, who are, who are ahead of him, sorry, at this moment in time. And I still think he's got a little bit left in the tank, especially in this country. I'm not so sure if he should go and play uh, abroad. His record away from home isn't, it's not, it's not bad, but it's not great. And I just think the body at 38 years of age or whatever he is now, getting, getting you know, approaching 40, I just think the body will struggle to do home and away series. Um, but the, the, the one thing that stands out, and I think Nasser Hussein mentioned this um, and when they analysed him after he got his 600th wicket, is it's not just the, the skill level and the wicket taking and, and all, the, all the good things that come with the hard work. It is the hard work in itself and it's, get yourself out, uh, out of bed in the morning and on day four of a test match when the body's probably saying to him, listen, it's time, it's time to pack it in. You know, when he, he, he straps the boots back on and he gets out there and he, and he does the damage like he always does. Um, and to do it for such a long period of time and to look after himself and make those sacrifices to keep himself fit 
um, because he is fit as a fiddle for his age, is fantastic. So yeah, I I would actually have to say he's probably one of the best bowlers of all time in Test cricket. Harry, something you agree with? In terms of longevity for a fast bowler to be around and uh, taking so many wickets for 17 years uh, is remarkable. Um, Obviously, he's played a lot more Tests than a lot of the other bowlers uh, that he's overtaken, like a Glenn McGrath. Um, he has had his injury problems, though, hasn't he, Harry, to be fair? Yeah, but imagine how many more, more wickets he would have taken if he'd not had those injuries. He, he's missed a, a fair number, certainly, in recent years. Um, and I'm not crabbing it. I mean, 600 Test wickets, doesn't matter how many Tests you play. Uh, it's a, an, an amazing achievement, and, and to be the most of any fast bowler ever. You would have to put him in that top bracket. No question about that. Um, but there's some other very, very good bowlers in there. You know, uh, Courtney Walsh, Kelly Ambrose, uh, for me, Glenn McGrath just uh, would be the best. Um, particularly, I always remember that uh, spell in the first test of 2005 Ashes where he just completely scaled the England team at Lords. Um, but yeah, no, J- Jimmy Anderson, undoubtedly one of the best uh, cricket has ever seen. And to be fair, I mean, uh, I, I think Stuart Broad himself would probably get to 600. Well, I mean... What's even more surprised about both of these guys, and I'll come for you for come back to back to you both for a quick comment, is that both of them were actually fearful of their place. Is that fair to say in the England team? Just you know, before the summer, um, you know, there was you know, Stuart Broad was actually left out, wasn't he? Um, to begin with, at the start of the summer, um, both there was rumours that both of them were going to be replaced. Um, does that make it an even more incredible achievement that both of them have managed to, you know? One work their way back into the team, but both get to their milestones, considering that both of their places might have been under threat. Okay, I'll come to you first. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, especially with how uh, how much strength and depth the England bowling sack has now, you know, you're looking at um, the likes of Ward, Joffrey Archer, Sam Curran, um, Chris Wokes, obviously has a phenomenal record um, in England. So, yeah, I think, obviously, ahead of the su- this summer in particular, because the games came thick and fast, Anderson would have known that maybe he would have been rested. Uh, Broad certainly wouldn't have been expected to, to be left out. And I think the most impressive thing is, um, just to keep it quite short, is, is that, and it's something Stuart Broad touched on when he was left out during the first test, is um, the, it, he found it surprising how much hunger and desire he had to get back in the team at his age. And he said he, if he didn't feel that way, he may have thought about you know, packing it in. But to not only feel that hunger and desire to get back into the, into the team, to then come back into the team and do the damage that both Broad and Anderson have done, shows they still have um, a massive sort of uh, role to play in this team. I do think there's going to be a decision to be made eventually, whether it's the, EC, the ECB or those two guys. We are going to have to replace them. They're not going to be around forever. But while they're still fit and firing, then get them in the test team because they're, they're two clearly dangerous bowlers. Harry? Yeah, that interview with Broad after he was dropped for the first test against West Indies, um, it was uh, refreshing, as we've mentioned on these podcasts before, just to see how honest he was and how angry and hurt he was at being left out. And he certainly came back and proved his point. Obviously, uh, in the second test against West Indies, he took six wickets in the match and then obviously went on to take take his 500th after that. Um, Yeah, again, I wasn't really sure about Anderson going into the series with Pakistan and he wasn't having his his best series, but obviously came back far at the end. And if it not were some for some calamitous fielding, 
uh, he would have got to the 600 mark quicker. Uh, I think he, I think about three or four catches would have dropped off his bowling. Um, but yeah, it's, it's remarkable for fast bowlers the absolute strain that gets put on their body for uh, so many days, uh, so many long hours in in horrible condition, horribly warm conditions. Sorry, uh, especially abroad, uh, to to still be playing after all this time and and still competing at the highest level and showing that they're they're worthy of their places. Um, it's phenomenal. You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. I'm going to move on now to um, uh, another classic moment of the summer, um, the run chase against Pakistan. Key, you mentioned his name before, Chris Wokes, um, but primarily Josh Butler, just how good of an innings and a chase was, was that from England? Oh, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Um, I wouldn't give him a prayer when they, uh, well, I think give him a prayer to win the test match um, in the first innings when Pakistan had him, was it 12 for three, something like that? Um, but they, they clawed the way back. Um, a great bowling performance uh, in Pakistan's second innings to give them something to chase. But even when Butler and Wokes came together at the crease, it was still um, still a long way to go. Um, you know, we've, we we know Wokes can bat. We can we know he can bowl, but we can we know he can bat as well. I think in the World Cup, he went in a number three uh, against the West Indies, so he can bat. And then Butler was one. Me and Harry will will hold our hands up and say, you know, right at the beginning of the summer. We thought he shouldn't have even been in the test team. We were calling for Ben Folks, a bit more of a test specialist keeper, if you like. But I've got to hold my hands up and take my after Josh Butler. He tweaked his technique slightly in test cricket. And he had a fantastic summer, especially in that Pakistan series with the bat. Uh, not only did he you know, show his range of attacking shots, the sweep, the reverse sweep with Wokes to uh, chase down that total, but then to go on and hit his second uh, century in the third test, I believe, alongside Zach Crawley, who obviously... Got a fantastic double hundred. So yeah, just the um, the transformation of Josh Butler in Test cricket. Really, he looked like his confidence was shot. Um, he struggled struggling with the bat, and then he was struggling with the gloves as well uh, at wicketkeeper. Um, but yeah, credit to him for sticking to it. He could have quite easily because he's such a good white ball player. He could have just said, you know what, I'm packing in Test cricket, the red ball game. I'll just go and play white ball cricket all around the world and earn loads of money, which he'll do anyway. Um, but no, absolute full credit to him for sticking with it and um, uh, congratulations on a fantastic summer. But also, Harry, you know, we, we've had the, the uh, tremendously entertaining uh, T20 and ODI series against Australia. Um, obviously, the ODIs, England, have, have just, you know, lost their unbeaten record. Uh, first time they've been beaten at home in five years in ODIs. Um, just yesterday, uh, losing the series 2-1. But obviously, they got the win in the T20s. Just a word on that, Harry? Yeah, I mean, it shows you how well matched those sides are. I know Australia's record hasn't been uh, amazing in the... Well, in any form of cricket, actually, over here in, in the last couple of decades. Um, and I'm sure we'll come on to the, the ODI series later on. But, um, yeah, for uh, for me, the, the 50-over game is, is the most exciting form of cricket because... As England, as you saw with England yesterday, naught for two after two balls, and yet managed to still put on over three hundred uh, with some brilliant batting again from Wokes towards the end. Obviously, Sam Billings and hundred from Johnny Bairstow. For then Australia to be they're seventy off for five, I think something like seventy-three for five, and then put on over two hundred runs for the sixth wicket, and, and it could go down to the last over. Uh, you couldn't have asked for any more. Again, one of those games where you just wish that there was a paying crowd in. And it would have been um, remarkable for them to be there. But 
just as I mentioned earlier, to have some cricket, um, you have to be incredibly thankful to the ECB and, and all the teams that have come over to play. Well, obviously, you know, as you've alluded to there, there's, there's been some terrific cricket being played in the summer, but just a quick word from both of you. Um, a word on simply getting cricket on this summer, you know, it was of paramount importance, obviously, um, it, ultimately it's an entertainment business, the fans, the cricket fans, they need to, they need the game, especially in a time like this. Just how much planning, how much sacrifice has actually gone into getting cricket on this summer, Kree? Yeah, a lot. I mean, the ECB have worked tirelessly to get it on, uh, to making sure these COVID secure environments were, you know, did what they said on the tin. They were COVID secure. I think there was only the one breach from Joffrey Archer. Luckily, he w- he didn't test positive for coronavirus, but there was just the one. To have one sort of incident like that in all the series, all the cricket we've played, all the teams we've come over is phenomenal effort, not just from the ECB, but from the travelling teams like Harry mentioned, you know, West Indies, Pakistan, Ireland, Australia. Uh, amazing for them to come over and play. And the England players as well. You know, some of them have been in that bubble since, you know, a month before the first test was played against West Indies because they play in, you know, so many so many formats of the game for England. So um, not just the, you know, the sporting sacrifice, the, the sort of demands you put on the body, especially if you're a fastballer, but the personal sacrifice, being away from the families for so long. I think people can sometimes forget about that from the outside looking in. Um, but, you know, credit to everyone who's, who made sacrifices and put so much time and effort into getting cricket on this summer. And it was of paramount importance because, as Harry's alluded to, no fans coming in has obviously had a massive financial impact on, uh, you know, well, the ECB actually obviously had to make redundancies recently, which is awful. But obviously, you know, the, the county team's losing money. So um, if there was no cricket whatsoever, it could have been disastrous financially. So to get some kind of cricket on, with or without fans, was vitally important. And like you said, Sam, for the morale of the country as well, really, um, getting cricket and not just cricket, sport on, uh, was needed, I think. Yeah, I'll just echo what he said, really. I mean, especially for the, the teams that have come over and they've been away from their families for a long time. Obviously, you can see the state of Joe Root's bar in it, that he's not um, not been able to see a barber in God knows how long. And uh, it's just those little things, you know, that they've been in hotel rooms for the summer not being able to interact with sort of the outside world really not being able to see anyone see the family um i know it's not maybe the biggest sacrifice in the grand scheme of things obviously getting paid well to do the job that they love but it, it it's it's a long time to to be away from your family and and your mates and stuff like that so yeah and uh it's just been good to see some cricket obviously a lot of people have given up on the idea of it uh, with everything that was going on um, we've had a few good months of it and obviously we've still got uh, T20 Blast going on the quarterfinals of that will be in the next couple of weeks with uh, finals day obviously asking asking for rain with that being in October but um, yeah there's still plenty of cricket to come You're listening to Matchday FM It was isn't a hoot <laughs> We all laugh now Was there any point when you were just like please stop I remember watching that match and I was thinking when is this going to end? I was meant to be going to see uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine and I just kept saying to me, like, you know, just watching the end of this match and then <laughs> 10 minutes later, you know, another text, where are you? Yeah, it still hasn't finished. And to be honest, that's probably why she's an ex-girlfriend of mine. Now. <laughs> I was going to say, blame, blame John Esner for that, I was. Yeah, and, uh, and Nicholas Mahu, yeah, both of them. This is Matchday FM, home of sporting banter and debate. Moving on, we touched upon it um, just briefly before, obviously, uh, the T20 series... Um, 
edit on this summer. England obviously beating Australia, winning the series 2-1. Harry, I'm going to come straight back to you. What did you make of the series overall? And, this, you know, um, in particular, the uh, Australian collapse in the first game. Well, yeah, I mean, it would have been a completely different series. You'd think if uh, they had actually followed through, that they were 98 for one and just completely blew it. But the, the flip side is obviously fantastic bowling from England. Uh, two fantastic one-day sides. And, yeah, obviously, the disappointing thing at the end of it was that England had the chance to go to number one in the world if they'd won that 3-0. Um, but, yeah, a, a good series victory, obviously, in the end, so maybe a little bit by the fact that they sort of blew the the actual uh, 50 over series but uh, I think we saw why David Mullen should never be chopped again I mean he's got 750s and 116 T20 games for England averages 48 number one T20 batsman in the world um, there's a plethora of options now Butler opened and did so well uh, and you know plenty more explosive players in there so obviously disappointing that the T20 World Cup uh, has been postponed until next year but England will go there with a right good chance, I feel. And, Key, uh, had just alluded to Josh Butler there, uh, obviously opened the baton uh, in the T20, something he's, he's not necessarily been used to. He's normally uh, down the order. Um, what did you make of his performance, uh, first and foremost? And would you have him open him permanently? Yeah, I think his performances were good. Um, I would have him opening permanently. Now, I know there's certain risks that come with that, uh, you know, and the major risk is that when he was down the order, you know, you're always thinking, well, if we lose a couple of wickets, then Joss can come in and, you know, deliver some firepower to get us back into the game. Now, I think with him opening, he can, you know, release some of that firepower early on. Now, it's a gamble because in T20, the po- there's a strong possibility you can lose early wickets, but there's also a stronger possibility that you can get off to a massive start. And if you start very well in T20, you know, nine times out of 10, you're going to get a big score, which, you know, ultimately your bowlers can defend. Um, and I think putting your best player, probably, uh, I wouldn't say hardest hitting player, I think Stokes is the hardest hitting player, but in terms of just finding the boundary in white ball cricket, Josh Butler is probably one of, if not the best in the world, maybe. Um, so having him in to open can give you such a good chance of having such an explosive start. Um, I think it's worth the risk um, because I think we have got other white ball players who can come in further down the order and uh, beef up our score a little bit. So we don't necessarily have to, you know, wait for him to come in. So, uh, yeah, very impressed with his performances, especially in the second game, uh, unbeaten, you know, 70-odd um, to, to chase down Australia, Australia's target, what they settled. So, um, yeah, fantastic. And it would have been great to have him for that third game to try and get the 3-0 win, like Harry mentioned, and um, make us number one in the world. But um, he was in the bubble for that long. You know, they let him go home and, and he could go home and celebrate his, uh, his 30th birthday with his family, which was fully deserved. He had a superb summer. But yeah, to answer your question, I think it's the way forward to have him opening. Um, who he opens with is, um, I still think that might be up for debate because obviously Johnny Burstow had an, he had a, I want to say an indifferent. So I know he hit a century in the one day series, but like in the six one day games that he played, he, he had three good scores and three bad scores. So a bit of inconsistency. Jason Roy seemed to struggle this summer. And you got Tom Banton as well, who opened um, and he looks a really promising talent. So um, who partners Josh Butler? Is not up to me. It's up to the selectors. But yeah, I would have Josh Butler opening. Well, you've just touched on uh, the next subject very nicely for me there, Keith, because uh, I'm going to ask Harry about Tom Banton. I know he's got a couple of opinions that he uh, wants to get off his chest. So, Harry, Tom Banton, um, 
basically the question I want to ask you is, can he fit in when the likes of Joe Root, Ben Stokes, and a few of the other guys are all available for selection? Well, I was just going to mention, obviously, it's easy to forget that England have been without Stokes for uh, all these games against Australia. So when he comes back in, um, he obviously will walk back into the team. But for me, uh, I wouldn't have Joe Root in the T20 team. I, I don't think he's... I don't think he scores fast enough uh, to be effective in this form of the game. Obviously, in, in one day, it's fine. You've got a bit more time. You can play yourself in. Struggled uh, I mean, a little he, bit Joe Root as well, hasn't he? he yeah. Well, absolutely, yeah. He was he was particularly slow in the first couple of ODIs against um, Australia and then obviously didn't get a chance to be slow because he got a golden duck in the in the third one. So, uh, yeah, his place is, is obviously in doubt. As I said, I wouldn't have him in the T20 squad. Um, I, I like the look of Tom Banton. Some of his shots are, are excellent. He's got a, a, a ramp shot, which obviously is so violent. And he's in, in the modern, game, modern day uh, manoeuvre in the field. Um, it's very tough to see how he how he fits in but I mean it, again this is it's a good problem to have when you've got players like Tom Bunton you're not sure can get in obviously Bairstow as Key mentioned is, has been indifferent but that's sort of the name of the game with Johnny Bairstow we all know what he's like now he, he is very indifferent and inconsistent and one day you get a front of one for him like we saw yesterday but then the other day he can get very little so I would say sort of you know the likes of Stokes, Butler, Milan um, would be Shoe-ins. Obviously, Jason Roy has, has struggled, and again in the one days when he he looked like he was getting into a bit of Nick, he he gets run out by Joe Root. So um, I think those two would be the ones with sort of the question marks over them. Uh, but it is it is a such a nice problem to have when you've got players like Tom Banton who might potentially miss out. And uh, oh, Morgan, obviously he's. Um... He's had a little bit of an indifferent summer as well, up and down um, with the bat. Um, there's been times when he's looked as if he's going to score massive and, and hasn't quite gone on. There's been times when he has scored massive. Uh, he's staying on um, as captain for the next uh, two T20 World Cups. Now, I'm going to come to both of you for this one. How important is that for England? And what do you think England can achieve with Owen Morgan in charge? Key, I'll come to you first. It's a funny one because I think me and Harry are going to get stuck into Morgan a little bit when we discuss the uh, one day as um, in a bit more depth. But in T20, I think um, he was pretty spot on, wasn't he, in the, the T20 series against Australia? I think he's a great captain regardless. Um, and I think it's vitally important that he's staying on for at least the next T20 World Cup. And obviously, he's doing, he's doing two in a row. Um, obviously, this, this T20 World Cup should have been happening um, next month, I believe, October in Australia. Um, which is unfortunate, but um, I think with the team we've got at the minute, I think we're definitely one of the best teams in the world. Obviously, we're second in the rankings. Um, so yeah, I think it's we, we can we can go all the way. For me, we can go all the way. We went all the way to the final in the last one, and obviously we blew it, as Harry as Harry would say. Um, we what was it, Harry? Twenty four runs West Indies needed, and Carlos Brathwaite slapped Ben Stokes yeah. for three sixes. Um, yeah, we ended but, up losing. but I mean. In hindsight, you could say that might have been the making of Ben Stokes. Absolutely, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, he's he's certainly more than made up for it <laughs> since then. Um, but I think you know the team's not changed too much since that final. We've probably improved. You know, Harry mentioned the emergence of David Milan. He was always in and around, but his record in T20 is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important to have Owen Morgan um, staying on. 
He knows how he wants the team to play. He knows the players. Uh, the players respect him. I absolutely know that just from watching his sort of demeanour on the field. Um, so important that he's staying on and what can we achieve? I think I generally think we can go all the way uh, and win it, especially the next one. Um, but there's some phenomenal white ball cricketers. And, you know, the, the IPL is coming back this weekend. That's got a lot to answer for when it comes to T20 cricket because it's developed some unbelievable players and uh, it's just getting madder by, by you know, the year because some of the scores are getting put on are crazy. So you can't write off Australia. I think we're going to be up there. You can never write off the likes of India. Pakistan are always a, a surprise package. So um, it's tough, but I, yeah, I'm confident. I think we can we can win it. How did you concur with Keane's opinion? Well, the aim has to be to, to win at least one of them. Uh, they've got the squad. They've got some most explosive players in the world. Bowling attack likes of uh, Jofra Archer. Uh, the Coven brothers are, are very good in T20 games. And Chris Wokes, obviously, is there. He can bat as well. So the aim has to be has to win one. I know in Morgan, uh, we'll leave the, um, the slander for the ADI series, but 99 times out of 100, he gets it right. He is a really good captain. His record speaks for itself. Obviously, he won the World Cup with England last year. The players absolutely respect him. Uh, but not only as a captain, he, he's such a vital player. Uh, he knows when to speed up. Uh, he can anchor in innings as well, but he can. he's also got the firepower to knock it out of the park. Um, and he's so important for England. And, uh, and it is, it's great news that he's going to be there for the next couple of T20 World Cups and hopefully for the next World Cup in India after that. You're listening to the Matchday FM podcast. Why not let us know what you think? Get in touch by searching for Matchday FM on social media. I know you've been desperate to get onto it, lads, so we might as well move on to it. Um, the ODI series, recent ODI series, uh, England versus Australia, obviously uh, went down to the Y yesterday, final over, Australia uh, ended up taking the series. First time in as I say, in five years, then England have lost a home series. Um, Key, I'm going to come to you first. What went wrong? Oh, it was disappointing. I mean, we can't be too disappointed, you know, five years having not lost the ODI series at home and then obviously going into the World Cup, home World Cup last year as favourites, then going on to win it. So there's not a lot to complain about. We're still one of the best, you know, one-day international teams in the world. I just think, you know, you have a little bit of a tag on your back, don't you, once you've won the World Cup. Uh, Australia, like Harry said, haven't had the best of records in any format of the game over here in the last couple of decades or so. So, you know, coming over with a point to prove. Um, what went wrong overall? I think um, I think it's, you know, we, look, we looked at it last year and after the World Cup and then Liam Plunkett was, you know, got told that he wouldn't be given um, an ODI uh, central contract. And I, I, could, I could totally understand that because we've got to start building for the next World Cup in four years and he was getting on a little bit. But he was so importantly in Plunkett in anchoring those middle overs with the ball. He took, um, in the lead up to the 2019 World Cup, he took the most wickets, I believe it was from overs 21 to 40 in the world um, in those four years between the 2015 and the 2019 World Cup. So it shows how crucial he was to England. And that was exactly the period in yesterday's uh, ODI where... You know, they needed to take a wicket when Maxwell and Curry came together at 73 for five and Australia looked dead and buried. If England could have took a wicket in those middle overs where, you know, Maxwell and Curry were building that monster partnership, then, you know, they would have won the game comfortably. So maybe they're just lacking 
a baller who can hold it together in that crucial part of the game. Because like Harry said, 50 over can be so exciting because so, so, you, you look at it, you go, it's not that, not that many overs really, but a lot can happen in the space of like, you know, those 10 over blocks. Um, so I think what we're wrong in that game in particular is maybe missing a baller of that, that type of ilk. But also over the series, I think um, we're probably just beaten by the better side. I say we were obviously we're missing the likes of Stokes. Um, Sam Billings came in and filled in quite well. Um, but yeah, sometimes you've got to hold your hand up and say, you know what, they come here and, and they beat us fair and square. Um, so, you know, still, still stuff to improve on, which is, you know, encouraging because if we can get better than what we were in the last World Cup, then we're going to be some team. Um, but like I said, once you have that World Cup champions tag, you're, you're up there to be shot at. Well, Harry, it could have been oh so different um, yesterday. Obviously, uh, as you've alluded to, the Aussies were five down. Um, you know, less than 100 on the board. Um, at that point, you're probably thinking England are in a fantastic position here to, to, to um, or there even to to go on and win the game. Um, obviously, as Caden's mentioned there, you know, Liam Plunkett not being a part of the side is, is a big loss. But, you know, England did have, have a chance early, early doors with Joffre Archer. Now, he did, well, we all thought that he took the wicket, uh, the prize wicket of, um, I believe it was Carey, um, which obviously then would have broke up that, what would have been that, um, went on to be a, a huge partnership for the Aussies. Now, you know, obviously, is that, is, is, is that indiscipline on Archer's part? Um, can he, you know, could you potentially uh, have a look at that? And also, you know, in terms of Morgan's decision making, because I, I know you were, you know, before the, um, the podcast, you were a little bit critical of um, uh, Morgan's decision to bowl Rashid in the last over. You know, what, what's, what do you think went wrong? Well, yeah, I mean, regarding Archer, you could probably call it indiscipline if, if it was a regular occurrence, but. Uh, it was the first ball he's ever bowled, a uh, first ever no ball he's bowled in uh, one day internationals. So uh, it's just one of them. You're going to have to learn from it and make sure it doesn't happen again. Obviously, Kerry was on nine at the time and I showed he would have been six down. I think still less than 100 on the board and, and that really would have been game over. Uh, it would have brought a complete different things from Glenn Maxwell. He would have really had to just sw- uh, swing for the hills and hope for the best. Um, and it would have been more like that. he himself would have got out. But uh, that's just one of those things that no balls happen. It was just unfortunate. Um, but the, the one sliver from Kerry happened on that ball. Uh, obviously, then England managed to drag themselves into uh, the final over in, in the better position. Both Kerry and Maxwell were out. And yeah, yeah. I mean, with Cohen and Wood, to, well, Wood, who, can get up to, who was getting up to 95 miles an hour yesterday, and Cohen, who's very difficult to hit. Um, in the in the last stages of uh, any one day format, um, to bowl a spinner, it, it was just poor from Morgan. As I said, nine on times out of hundred, he gets it right, but on that occasion, it, it was the one that he got it completely wrong. Rashid wasn't bowling particularly well; he was he was getting hit fairly easily, and obviously there was the short boundary in play, and it just get, gave Stark the chance to just whack him and see what happened. Obviously, it's a lot easier to see an Adil Rashid ball than it is to see a Mark Wood one or, or a Tom Curran one. So, yeah, disappointing to lose. Yeah, I mean, it would have been three 0 were it not for Australia collapsing significantly in the in the second ODI. So, although disappointing in the end, if it wasn't for that that portion from Morgan or the noble from Archer, then England probably would have won the series. Uh, I think you'd have to say that Australia were the better side and deserved to win it. Um. 
obviously, uh, as you've mentioned, there's it, it was a it was a little bit bizarre um, for me anyway. Watching watching the, the climax of that match yesterday, um, especially um, as Adam Fincher took a lot of stick um, prior, you know, from, from a previous match. I think it was when uh, England actually won the the T Twenty for bowling. Uh, a spinner in the second to last over in England smashed them all around the ground. I think it was Butler actually smashed them all around the ground to to, to win that, um, to win that second T uh, Twenty. Does that make it even more bizarre then, guys? That that Owen Morgan elected to 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 bowl that other sheet in that final over, Keen? Yeah, I mean. It's a tough one. That was a yeah. I know what you're referring to with Adam Zampa. He bowled him in the first bowl for the first T20 and the second T20. Finch bowled Zampa in the penultimate over, which um, obviously in the first T20 allowed us to get a few more runs. I think we hit 22 runs off him, which then obviously gave us a, a big enough target to to end up defending when we shouldn't have really. And then obviously the second game we were chasing, and he, again he did the same thing. And Butler smashed him everywhere, like you said, and and ended up winning the game for us. Um, it's not unheard of to bowl a spinner um, so late on in an innings. And I think, obviously, it depends on the pitch and all that kind of stuff. But in this particular situation, it was bizarre. Like Harry said, we had uh, Mark Wood had overs in the bank and he was reaching, you know, massive uh, heights with his with his pace, um, especially bowling at, you know, two what, what was two tail enders um, for that last over because Stark had just come to the crease. And obviously, Tom Curran, well, he bowls a lot of death um, overs. Especially in T Twenty cricket, he's got a lot of uh, variation with his slower balls and his cutters and stuff, and he's really hard to pick up. So it was a, it was an odd one. Um, I like Adil Rashid. I think he's one of, if not the best ODI spinner in the world at the minute with his variations. But he just wasn't on it yesterday for whatever reason. Um, I think, firstly, for Mor- on Morgan's part, he didn't bowl Rashid in the sort of period of the game that he would usually bowl him at. He he went for Joe Root. And now it paid off with your route for a few overs, but then he, I think he just dragged it out in the end. Of, after three, four overs, he maybe should have pulled your route and put Rashid on, but he gave route eight overs, which was an interesting decision. And then he kept bowling Rashid at, um, I forget the name of which end it was, but basically the end were when he when Maxwell was on strike, the short boundary was the leg side for Maxwell, which is bread and butter for him because he will just slog the spinner to the leg side and he'll just whack it. As you saw when he, he nearly smashed the window on the point. So it was a bit of a weird one from Morgan, to be honest with you. Um, Rashid didn't bowl his best spell, but by no means was it his fault. And like Harry said, 99 times out of 100, Morgan gets it right. So it's a bit bit harsh to be critical. But if we want to stay on top of the world in that format and beat these kind of teams, then you know we have to be hypercritical because it's the only way we're going to improve. And how do you... Was it a surprise for you that uh, Owen Morgan elected to do that? Um, especially considering that Adam Finch had taken so much stick um, in the T20 series. Yeah, absolutely. As, as we mentioned, with two good death bowlers and Curran and Wood still available. And yeah, I mean, the, the root thing earlier in the innings, obviously, he got two wickets in his first two overs. And uh, it was for the first four overs, he was brilliant. But you can have so much of a good thing. And uh, it just sort of. They they picked him a little bit in the end and were able to knock him around. And at that point, they really should have had uh, foot on on the accelerator and and brought Rashid in and and sort of strangled him when he was a lot harder to hit. And in the end, uh, it just left it too long and and Rashid didn't even end up bowling. Uh, it's full allocation. So yeah, it's just it's just a, a bit of a nightmare for Owen Morgan 
really yesterday. We, we can obviously forgive him for that. Um, but he's completely right. If you if you want to be the best in the world, you do have to be hypercritical and overanalyze these these sort of moments. Um, because it would have stolen a series win for England, really. Um, uh, and and the best teams do win those those games, those series where you don't necessarily deserve to. But uh, yeah, at, at the same time, you have to obviously credit Maxwell and Carey for putting on that incredible stand and, and winning the game for Australia. Well, obviously, guys, disappointment, obviously, for, for England to lose. But as you say, you know, it's the first time we've lost, uh, certainly a home series in, in the shorter format in, in five years. So I suppose we, we can forgive them for, you know, for, for losing um, yesterday, losing the series yesterday. Now, obviously, we're defending world champions in the uh, ODI format. Um, what do we make of the general shape of the team at the moment? So, uh, you know, obviously Sam Billings has come in. Um, he's come in. He, he's done really well, uh, certainly in the last match anyway. Um, you know, can he stake a claim now to, to, to get into this uh, England side? And also, I'm going to ask you about ahead of the next World Cup. Obviously, next World Cup's in India. What, do, do we think that Owen Morgan will still be in charge come that World Cup in India? Uh, Harry, I'll come straight back to you. Uh, well, Sam Billings obviously been on the periphery of the the ODI team for for some time, and was one of those who obviously would have been disappointed to miss out winning. We did win the World Cup last year. Couldn't have done any more for me in this series. Obviously, hit a century in the first ODI, and then um, a really well worked run of all fifty seven uh, to to make England competitive after a poor start yesterday. Uh, he's absolutely. Uh, Cemented his place for now. Obviously, there's still a long way to go. Um, Morgan, and I, I hope was to be a, a captain in three years' time. He's he's proven his worth to the team. Um, no signs of decline, and and it's so well respected. Uh, I think England's still in really good shape. Obviously, if if that last ever had gone differently yesterday, we could be in a completely different mindset. Still have that unbeaten home record. Uh, be full steam ahead uh, on all fronts. Um, so it may be soured a little bit, but I still think the outlook's positive for England. And yeah, Bairstow as well had had a better series in, in the 50 over 420. Obviously, he got uh, either side of a deck, he got 84 and 112. Chris Wokes, uh, six wickets. Uh, in, the la- in the last two games, he's figured with three for 32 and two for 46. Archer took seven wickets in the three games as well. You've got Tom Bantley who come in, Zach Crawley, um, who got the double hundred in. In the test against Pakistan, uh, he, he in the meantime has hit um, a 48 or 100 for Kent in in a T20 blast. So he's another option for this one-day format. So yeah, I think I think there's uh, certainly a lot more to be positive about than negative about even with that series defeat yesterday. And Keaton, um, I'm gonna maybe leave the last word with you. Um, Harry's just mentioned a couple of the players there that he, he feels maybe could stake a claim to get into this England um, ODI side. Um, is there anyone in particular that you would like to see come into the side? And who do you think should drop out ahead of this World Cup coming up in India? It's a tough one because obviously the team we have is really strong, like Harry said. I know we've been a bit critical, but we're still up there, aren't we? We're still one of the best teams in the world. Um, and the strength and depth batting-wise, I feel, is, you know, probably, you could argue it's, probably the best depth in, in the world. I mean, there's some world-class players knocking about it. Uh, you know, you don't have to look at Maxwell's energy, Aaron Finch when he gets going. You know, you've got Virat Kohli, who obviously plays for the hosts. 
of the next World Cup. But batting-wise, I think we look strong. I think what I would like to see, Sam, to be honest with you, is um, we need one, maybe two spinners to back up Adi or Rashid um, because of the conditions in India, because of the spinning pitches. And one person I would really like to see come in, and he's been on the periphery, and I'm not just saying this because he plays for Lancashire, but uh, Matt Parkinson, another leg spinner. He's um, He's got a really good record in T20 cricket, decent record in ODI. I think he could be a threat. Um in, in that World Cup in a few years' time. I obviously hope Morgan stays on. I think he will. I think he'll say, you know what, I'll take England to India. I'll try and defend the World Cup. If I do, great. If I don't, then, you know, call it a day regardless. He'll have a go out, you know, in, in the sunset with uh, with another trophy or he'll go out in the sunset and look back and say, you know what, I give it a bloody good go and, you know, won a World Cup. I'm really proud. But yeah, for me, I think um, just we need to start looking at some uh, other ODI specialist spinners because Rashid's great, but he can't do it all on his own, obviously. Um, so just a bit more quality in that department maybe just because of the conditions that you get in India so Matt Parkinson is, is just one I can think of off the top of my head I'm sure there's plenty more uh, knocking about in, in the white ball domestic game Well guys it's been an intriguing uh, conversation with yourselves um, really enjoyed it as I say for for me personally who's not maybe the uh, the biggest cricket fan um, I know I know enough to get by uh, hopefully I've, I've proved that uh, along the way hopefully I've shocked you in a, in a couple of ways because um, I know you two probably think that uh, I have no clue on cricket which is probably 99% right um, but you know uh, I, I do watch a little bit of the international cricket I haven't got a clue who uh, Parkinson is who plays for Lancashire so I'm not even going to pretend that I know um, but as I say, the um, I do like a little bit of international cricket, and I've watched a little bit of England this summer, and, and it has been a joy to watch. Um, you know, for the majority of the time, obviously we, we were we were a little bit uh, sick yesterday when we when we lost the the ODI series, but it has been an, an absorbent summer, guys. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, as I say, it's, it's been terrific speaking to you both. And for everyone listening, please make sure that you keep an eye across our socials. Um, we're on Twitter, uh, Facebook. Um, and we'll be back with another podcast from Match FM very shortly. <laughs>